Hello and welcome to the History 101 Podcast. I'll be your substitute teacher, Mr. Woods, and today we'll be going in-depth on the Liberty Bell. So shoot off some fireworks, put on some red, white, and blue, and let's learn about one of America's most famous artifacts. What up, what up? Welcome back to the History 101 podcast. Please take your seats. Today, we'll be talking about the Liberty Bell. As a little Independence Day, 4th of July special for you guys, happy 4th. Um, I'm your substitute teacher, Mr. Woods. As always, coming to you from our studios in Le Puy-en-Velay, France, France, sorry, with a special Independence Day episode, so please forgive the non-American location, but yeah, we're spreading a bit of love and positivity and independence around the world, so bear with me. I'm also trying out a new setup. I gotta get this out of the way right now. I'm sorry if I fucking do this every time, but I'm trying out a new setup. I'm trying a standing desk. All the rage, but it's also gonna really help out the audio issues, I think, with the microphone placement, and also help me read my notes a little bit better, because when I'm sitting down, it's just a, it's a catastrophe, so... I might start pacing as I get more sweaty and nervous, but uh, for the moment we're chilling. But I hope there will be some new faces in class today. We had a little write-up in the popular Westport blog. So shout out to Dan Woog for sending some publicity our way. I hope you guys are excited for a little summer school. And it's in a laid-back fashion, people, so don't worry. Nothing too stressful here. No tests, no quizzes. Maybe a little homework, though, but no promises. If you're new here, I just want to tell you what it's all about. We're all about telling the stories of history in a relaxed manner and just helping the masses discover the coolness of the past. I know history is a, is a bit of a polarizing topic, but I'm hoping I can send some cool stories your way and get you guys learned because we're simply about education here and, and fun, so hopefully you guys will crack a couple smiles and... Uh, you just got to be forewarned that I have been known to get a little loose-lipped from time to time, which basically means we clock in at a pretty high number of bad words sometimes. And, uh, I mean, a lot of, I've been getting better at, with it, but just know I'm not swearing to swear. It's really just because I'm, I'm a substitute teacher. I'm not, I'm not full-time or anything. And I'm getting better at this podcast thing every day, so... The audio I know is like really, it's just like really inconsistent sometimes. It makes me so annoyed, but hopefully we're good. I got, I got my levels here. I'm, I'm checking them constantly to make sure we're not, uh, I keep moving around. That's probably the problem. I got to stop talking about this because I'm going to go down a rabbit hole and, and just incessantly speak. But um, hopefully we're clocking in around like 30, 35 minutes each episode. So I hope you guys have time to listen if you're at work or whatever, going for a walk. As always, if you're enjoying the potty, shoot me some love and respect in the form of a review on iTunes. I have no idea if you can do that on Spotify or anything else, but we are available on all platforms. So, hold up, i got to take my shoes off. They're making so much noise on the ground here. Got my sliders on, my feet are starting to sweat, so. 
which is how we how we do things here at North Public Radio, also known as NPR. Just got some free education. I know times are weird right now, so sit down, have a cup of coffee, listen to me rant for like 30 minutes. Also just know like we're already at four and a half minutes, god damn it, but you can skip to like five or six minutes if you don't want to hear this bullshit, but um, I'm just trying to get this potty out on a weekly basis on a Tuesday slot. So I get really hyped up to do some research most of the time, though. So I probably drop like two two episodes a week. Like this one is going to be a Fourth of July special, and that's purely because I just wanted to release another another episode. But um, yeah, that's pretty much it. But last little piece of business is we will segue. This will help us segue into today's episode right on the five minute line. Let's go. But I just want to talk about being in France because I'm pretty excited to kind of diffuse my American heritage on the Frenchies this July 4th, whether in the form of uh, fireworks or whatever. But first thing, I live about 15 miles from where the Marquis de Lafayette was born. And he's a French general who fought alongside George Washington in the Revolutionary War. And for me, the French-American alliance is just super cool. And I'm like really proud to be American in France, kind of continuing that relationship on a human level. You know, because it doesn't have to be governments. It can be between between people. And Lafayette has a bunch of towns in America and even a name, even a university named after him. So he's an important guy. And particularly to the American Revolution, he, him and George Washington were super good friends. And Lafayette even said to old George upon his arrival in America, I am here to learn, not to teach. So can't really subscribe to that idea seeing as the, I'm the sub teach but Lafayette is just a selfless example of the immense strength and character it took uh, to kind of lead the Minuteman to victory against the Brits and in my opinion he's just as much an American icon as Benjamin Franklin, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson because he's just an inspirational figure and he's you know he's walked the same uh, roads that I had I guess they weren't roads back then but anyway Bottom line is the American War of Independence would have been lost without France and Spain, but we're talking about France. And I'm oh so stoked to be an American in France for our um, national holiday. I think I was here in 2015 for the 4th of July. Yeah, I think I was. I don't remember, actually. have to fact check that one, but I'm definitely going to send up some fireworks um, for the cause on Saturday, so... Six hours in in the future, maybe you can uh, see him across the Atlantic if you squint hard enough. But fun fact, the French slang word for Americans is Reekins, which I guess is like pretty cool. So shout out to the Frenchies for that. But anyway, welcome to the pod. Seven and a half minutes. This is like not a regular thing. I'm just trying to like greet some new listeners, keep the likes to a minimum. But I am a Gen Z kid. Um just like some random bullshit for five minutes every episode. So if you do come back by some miracle to another episode, just like skip the five minutes because it probably was talking about like some stupid shit for like just so long it feels like. But anyway, I'm getting deep. So without further ado, let's get into the history of the Liberty Bell. Forgive me if I'm moving around. I'm getting nervous, but... I'm just nervous about the audio. That's the only thing. I'm not nervous about this because I actually, I love history. Like I get jazzed up, and and that just leads to like some. I just I just want to put on a good production. But anyway, quick side note. 
on why the 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 Fourth of July is the Fourth of July, because I feel like this is like something a lot of Americans don't really know. Believe it or not, this is the date the Declaration of Independence was officially announced and laid out the reasons why the 13 colonies wanted to be quote-unquote free and independent states. Um, this was approved in... Hold on one second, I gotta check my notes. Yeah, it was approved in 1776, but it was actually the 2nd of July, 1776, that the, se- the Second Continental Congress passed the revolution, or the resolution, rather, for independence. Um... In fact, this was passed 12 to 1 because New York abstained. Uh, this was only because New York, the delegates who are basically the dudes who, you know, decide to vote, they actually decided that they didn't have, uh, they didn't have the right information, so they had to abstain. So it would have passed 13 to 0, but um, Colony in New York, eventually, I think like the 8th of July, they end up uh, signing off, but... Yeah, so that's reason. That's the reason why. And John Adams actually famously wrote to his wife, Abigail Adams, saying, quote, The second day of July, 1776, will be the most memorable epoch in the history of America. Actually, epoch is the word that they still use in French. So just shows our little uh, kind of shared language there. But we all... Uh, we all know how that worked out, so sounds like a really good idea for making Independence Day the 2nd of July, but for some, you know, maybe there's like a good argument to be made for the 2nd, 3rd, and 4th of July being the dates that we celebrate, but, you know, it's the 4th of July period, but just know that the 2nd of July is also an important date, but seeing as this is released on the 4th, uh, guess you gotta wait until next year, eh? But... Let's begin the Liberty Bell action. I'm sorry. Jeez, 10 minutes. Hope you skip to this point. But let's chat about the Liberty Bell because we've eventually got to hop in the Mr. Woods time machine. So let's punch in the date, 1682, and we're heading to the Philadelphia, to Philadelphia in the Pennsylvania colony when the city was founded by William Penn. So the legend goes that William Penn brought a bell to the city and ended up hanging it on a tree to alert the public to kind of just general announcements, danger, stuff like that. In 1729, Philadelphia was becoming a bustling and popular city, and the citizens petitioned to build a state house. So in August 1733, so four years later, after some belly aching over the building site, the project finally got off the ground and construction began on the Pennsylvania State House, which today is known as Independence Hall. So the construction began on the south side of Chestnut Street between 5th and 6th Streets in Philly. So the construction on the State House actually took several decades because the funds for construction were pretty weak and the building was built as the funds were available and came in. So in 1751, almost 20 years after the construction had begun, the bell tower, excuse me, oh, the bell tower of the state house was being built. And it was at this point that the colonial government decided that William Penn's original bell would not do the trick anymore because Philly was a super, um, it was a rapidly growing city. I read this article that between 1682 and 17. 
1750, 1760 maybe, the city was growing at a rate of 500 to 700 permanent residents per year, which might not sound like a lot today, but remember this is a brand new city and anyone moving in is going to have to build their own lodgings and stuff like that. Like there are no high rises or anything. And there were also like maybe a thousand people in the world at the time. So this is a pretty high percentage we're dealing with. And that rapid growth is, um, it's just really, it's the city is growing at almost an exponential rate, it seems like. So anyway, the new bell tower on the Pennsylvania State House needs a, um, a bell, obviously. So in 1752, Isaac Norris, who's the speaker of the Pennsylvania uh, Provincial Assembly, which is basically the colonial government of Pennsylvania, he shoots a message over to London to obtain a quote-unquote good bell of about 2,000 pounds weight, which is a lot heavier than I initially thought. But in Morris's message, he specifies that the bell needs to be made in the by the best workman and examine carefully before it's shipped. So, a little foreshadowing there. But he also specifies that the inscription for the bell should be, and I quote here, by the order of the assembly of the province of Pennsylvania for the state house in Philadelphia, proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. So this last part is actually a Bible verse from Leviticus chapter 25, verse 10 kind of echoing the religious sentiments but also the liberty part is you know foreshadowing as well the bell is ordered in london from a company called lester and pack for about 150 pounds which is translates to about thirty thousand us dollars today so it's a pretty nice bell but this included delivery and insurance just so expensive but anyway in august 1752 the um, guys in Philly kind of, they, they had not tested the, the bell yet, but it, uh, it arrives and they said it was in good order. So they test it. And what do you know? It literally first clap, it cracks. So good looks on the insurance, eh? but we'll see how that works out. Anyway, two local brass founders who are basically just dudes who work with brass, John Pass and John Stowe. How many dudes were named John in the American colonies? I guess a lot, but fun fact, this actually got me thinking that what's the most common name of a U.S. president? It's actually not John. There have been four U.S. presidents named John, also four named William, but the, the most common presidential name is actually James. So six people have been named James. A little fun fact, but let's get back to the story. So the two Johns melt the bell down and add 10% copper to it and recast it into a new bell with the inscription and everything. And this literally takes like seven months to do. I'm not going to throw shade because I don't know anything about bell casting. But finally, in March 1753, the recasted bell is ready to test. So Philadelphia city officials decide to host a public ceremony for the new Bell's test with free food and drinks for the city, uh, for the citizens. I just can't imagine what this was, like what the food was. It was probably like deer meat and beer, but I mean, I just can't imagine it was good. Anyway, the bell is struck and it doesn't break, but the sound is super weak and unbell-like. 
So for lack of a better word, it was unbelt-like. And inevitably, we just know this was going to happen. The crowd just starts roasting the bell makers, showing that colonial angst. And the two Johns rush off with the bell immediately to go remake it. So for a second time, the bell is melted down and recast. So we're up to the third bell here. And for you guys keeping track at home. And it's finally finished in June 1753. So this time it's tested in private to avoid potential mob roasting. And it's deemed okay. Although Isaac Norris, remember he's the speaker for the uh, Pennsylvania colonial government. He noted that he personally didn't really like the sound. It, it wasn't exactly what he had in mind. So finally, later that month, the bell is hung in the now famous steeple of the State House of uh, Pennsylvania. And Isaac Norris is still not super happy with the bell. So he gets London on the line and he gets a new bell. This is the Pennsylvania Assembly gets the new bell and hangs it in the steeple but decides to keep the old one, remember the one that's been recast twice, uh, just for, for good measure, and uh, for, quote, such uses as this house may hereafter appoint. So, geez, I, like, thank God people don't talk like that anymore, because I, I got to believe I'm the first person to say hereafter in, like, 300 years. But finally, the lads in Philly have a working bell. So let's jump to 244 years ago. And, which is 1776, and contrary to popular belief, the bell was not rung on the 4th of July, 1776, so sorry to disappoint. Even the declaration, even when the declaration was publicly read for the first time on the 8th, it is not 100% known if the bell rang as the steeple of the state house was in like super bad shape at the time, and it made it unwise to ring the bell. However, bells were rung throughout the city of Philadelphia, and so it is believed that if if the bell was rung, it, like, how do I phrase this? It, bells rang all throughout the city, and there's like a 50-50 chance whether the Liberty Bell rang, but they don't, they don't really know. So, obviously no written proof. So the following 4th of July in 1777, this is the first 4th of July in which the bell, uh, def the bells definitively ring nationwide, cementing the bell as a general symbol of American independence. And this is just, this just gives me chills to talk about because anyone who's played Assassin's Creed 3 knows how huge this time period was and just how exciting it was too for, for all the colonists, colonists. So, uh, just a quick mid-app, a uh, little happy 4th of July to you guys. So anyway, in September of 1777, Philadelphia was completely defenseless after Washington's troops had been defeated in the Battle of Brandywine, which is about 25 miles southwest of Philly. And Philadelphia was, it might be, might be in Delaware, Delaware or Pennsylvania, but modern day I'm talking, but Philadelphia was the revolutionary capital of America, so a British attack seemed pretty inevitable, and it was. So things got desperate, and the locals started worrying that the State House Bell, as it was then called, would be melted down and turned into munitions, as a lot of other bells were being, like they were just burning all that metal down. So luckily, the bell was taken down and secretly taken to a church in Allentown, Pennsylvania, where it was hidden while the Brits occupied Philly. 
and the bell finally returns to the city in June 1778 after the Brits had been ousted. So from that point, it was placed in storage until 1785 when it was again moved for, um, it was mounted for ringing. And it this time it was on the top floor of the state house because I believe the steeple was still in, in disrepair. So the state house bell became a fixture in young America ringing obviously on the 4th of July, but also for Washington's birthday in February, I believe 22nd of February, and also on election day as a reminder to vote. So make sure to vote, peeps. Doesn't matter who you vote for, but get out the vote. And if you know what the bell looks like today, you know that it has a huge crack in its side running from bottom to top. So how did this crack happen? Well, the thing is, no one really knows other than the fact it happened between 1817 and 1846. So that doesn't really narrow it down, but sorry to disappoint because history doesn't always have all the answers, but there's no mention of the Bell's Crack until February 1846. The most common theory, story, whatever, whatever you want, is that the Bell cracked upon its ringing for the death of Supreme Court Chief Justice John Marshall in 1835. So this is kind of a, this is the most popular and taught story of the bells cracking, but another story suggests it cracked in 1824 while welcoming our boy Lafayette back to the States, but I refuse to believe this story simply on the grounds that the French just cannot have a hand in this. So Side note, it's supposedly during Lafayette's visit to Philly that the Pennsylvania State House's modern name, Independence Hall, comes into vogue a little bit. So, author David Kimball suggests that the the Bell's crack occurred sometime between 1841 and 1845 on Washington's birthday or the 4th of July during just one of those general ringings. And I'm going to have to side with him on this one. I'm going to apply Occam's razor here. Remember, that basically just means that the simplest answer is usually the right one. And I just agree that the bell crack probably happened during one of its regular uses. Remember, by 1840, 1845, the bell is almost 100 years old. So it, it, it makes sense. And it's also seen its fair share of, uh, of life. So I've been calling the bell either just the bell or the statehouse bell. But let's accelerate this story and find out how this ringer eventually got to be known as the Liberty Bell. So, the bell are two Johns made back in 1753. Fun fact, actually, John is like what you would call like a a friend in Pennsylvania slang, so super appropriate, but they were actually named John. So, our two Johns back in 1753 made that first bell, and it was first referred to as the Liberty Bell in 1835. In the New York Anti-Slavery Society's journal, The Anti-Slave Record. God damn it, my fucking computer just, like, we're chilling, we're chilling. No worries. And we're back. So the New York Anti-Slave Society's journal, The Anti-Slave Record, actually puts out a piece titled The Liberty Bell, and they called out Philadelphians for not doing more to support the abolition of slavery. Remember, 1835 at this point... This is pre-Civil War, but the abolition movement is definitely strong, especially in the northern states. So the name Liberty Bell 
was then echoed by other abolitionist journals and newspapers as a symbol that American liberty should be applied to everyone, no matter race, creed, color. And in January of 1847, a story by George Lippard appears in the Saturday Courier titled 4th of July, 1776. And this is basically a story about like a young boy runs up and rings the bell, kind of signifying that the Declaration of Independence has been signed. And this is the first story that popularly links the ringing of the bell to the Declaration of Independence. As we know, the bell was not rung on the 4th of July, 1776, but it became popular nonetheless and was widely publicized. And this really cements the Liberty Bell and American independence as hand-in-hand ideals. So this story generated so much interest that the Liberty Bell was actually given a fancy pedestal in the assembly room of the first, on the first floor of Independence Hall, making it a full-on tourist attraction already in the late 1840s. So flash forward to 1876, and it's the Centennial Exposition in Philadelphia, which is honoring 100 years of American independence. Fun fact, wait, was it? Might have been in the 1880s, but I believe this is where the right arm of the Statue of Liberty was first exhibited. You can listen to our Statue of Liberty episode if you're interested. Um, Anyway, some city officials in Philly wanted to repair the cracked Liberty Bell for this exposition, but experts said that the metal could not be made into a Um, a bell that actually made a pleasant sound, like the filling in wouldn't help. And many people also said that the crack had become part of the bell's character and charm, which I definitely agree with, but I obviously have the beauty of hindsight. It was insisted, it was instead insisted that the, a replica be made of the bell that could actually make a a forcible or um, strong ring, strong sound. And it would weigh 13,000 pounds, or a thousand pounds for each of the original colonies. And it used four cannons. It melted down four cannons to make this one from each side of the revolutionary war and one from each side of the civil war. I don't really understand this idea. Cause first of all, a 13,000 pound bell is just like outrageously heavy and kind of unnecessary. I mean, that's over six times the original Liberty bells, uh, weight. So not much of a replica and, Two, why are you using cannons from the Brits and the Confederacy who are both decidedly not American? I mean, whatever. I I understand it. It's a cool sentiment. But you should have just gotten like four cannons from the American side. But anyway, the bell was sounded on the 4th of July. So we're talking the, the replica bell here. On the 4th of July, 1876, to signify the centennial's opening and is actually now the bell attached to the clock in the steeple of Independence Hall today and it's called the centennial bell so flashing up to 1885 and between 1885 and 1915 the liberty bell went on tour in the usa cementing its place in the hearts and minds of americans all throughout the country as a symbol of independence even further so here's some cool stories from the trip one that I one of the coolest stories is that Jefferson Davis, the former president of the Confederacy, actually viewed the Liberty Bell in a town in Mississippi and gave a speech paying homage to it and actually pleading for national unity. So I'm not going to get into Jefferson Davis. He's obviously was the president of the Confederacy, which is a complicated topic in and of itself. But 
just in the context of Reconstruction America, for the former president of the Confederacy to, I'm not going to say he's admitting defeat, but to plead for unity in, and have the Liberty Bell be that uniting force, I think that's, that's a really beautiful story. So by 1909, Philadelphians were, were understandably pretty pissed that their bell had been touring all around because news of new cracks starting to form on the bell had, had started to become publicized. And actually, souvenir hunters had lopped off about 1% of its total weight for keepsakes. So they were itching to get that thing back to Philly. And at the end of the Liberty Bell's USA tour, it traveled to San Francisco, making its first trip out west. So it's not coming back to Philly yet, peeps. About 5 million Americans saw the Liberty Bell on its trip out west. And remember, this is a time when people just are not traveling like they do today. So if you hadn't, you had maybe known about the Liberty Bell, but you certainly had never seen it. So for it to travel out west was huge because these people were seeing it for um, the first time. So it was seen by about 5 million people out west and approximately 2 million people kissed it which is fucking disgusting, but this is this is pre-Spanish flu, but post-germ theory, so you can't cut them too much slack. Anyway, a lot of petitions, it comes back to Philly in 1915, and a lot of people start petitioning to try to get it to, like, different events and expositions, fairs and stuff like that, and they all failed. And to the present day, the bell has only been moved outside five times since 1915, so... They, they definitely are doing a good job of keeping it safe. During World War I, the Bell's likeness, much like the Statue of Liberty, was used to sell war bonds and raise money for the, the war effort. And then during the Second World War, the Bell was tapped on D-Day, Victory in Europe Day, which I believe is the 8th of May. I just know that because it recently happened. And then Victory in Japan Day, which is either in late August or September. So... Shout out to Liberty on that one. Definitely uh, cool that they tapped it for, for those important dates. After World War II in 1948, the ownership, maintenance, and display of several Philadelphia properties and historic sites, including the Liberty Bell, were transferred from the city of Philadelphia to the federal government, and more specifically the National Park Service, or NPS. From 1976 to 2003, the bell was housed in a glass and steel building called the Liberty Bell Pavilion, which was roughly 200 yards from Independence Hall. And in, in the late 90s, a new home for the Liberty Bell was proposed called the Liberty Bell Center, or LBC, and a design was chosen and built with construction finally beginning or finally finishing in 2003, making and the bell was moved, obviously, to the LBC, making that the latest move of the Liberty Bell to date. So the last of those five that I mentioned earlier. In 2006, the old Liberty Bell Pavilion was demolished. Thank God, because it, it really did ruin the views of the Independence Hall um, kind of pla uh, plaza and mall. But interesting, the Liberty Bell Center, which again was the new home of the Liberty Bell, where it resides today, was built on the grounds adjacent to George Washington's slave quarters as the old president's house, the presidential residence before the White House was finished in 1800, so where George Washington and John John Adams would have lived. I believe John Adams was the first president to live in the in the White House. 
this was right near Independence Hall in Philly. So before we wrap up, I just want to hit you guys with some facts. So if you guys made it this far, I hope you're still on the edge of your seats and ready to, to learn a little bit more. It's our nation's birthday, so bear with me, yeah? Anyway, the Liberty Bell weighs 2,080 pounds today. And so definitely clocking in at that 2,000 pound that our man Isaac Noritz requested. And it, it's comprised of 70% copper and 20% tin, with the remainder of the bell consisting of lead, zinc, arsenic, gold, and silver. So definitely don't touch it. It has actually, it's actually out of reach now, so you can't touch it, but because some dickhead in 2001 tried to hit it with a hammer, Zero Chill was definitely from England or something like that, but the Liberty Bell has, it's mounted on a yoke, which is believed to be its original mounting piece. Yoke is just like a, just like a bar of wood, and it's made from American elm, which is, and it's super impressive that this is supposedly the original. Look up pictures. It, it's very cool, and, and it's just a strong-looking piece and definitely adds to the allure of the Liberty Bell in its, uh, in its entirety. So the crack in the bell is actually much larger than it appears due to it being filled in back in the, for the centennial, and there are also various hairline cracks that can be seen on the bell from its touring years, which is interesting if you look closely enough. So why did the Liberty Bell crack in the first place? How did it get its iconic little kind of charm? Well, in 1975, an analysis was conducted on the Bell's metal composition, and it was concluded that a lot of errors were made during its construction. It was found that the level of tin in the Liberty Bell was much higher than normal, as pure copper was usually used in other bells. And it was concluded that this, that the tin was actually a mixture, I believe it's a pewter, I'm out of my element here, so forgive me for any faults, but it was concluded that the mixture contained a lot of lead, which made the bell extremely brittle, and is actually the reason why those souvenir hunters back in the, back during the touring days were able to lop off pieces of the bell very easily. So, voila, we're here, 35 minutes, going to try to wrap it up. That's the 4th of July special, people, on the Liberty Bell. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I think this is such a cool American artifact. I hope you guys learned something. I've gotten to see this with my own eyes, actually, and at least once, maybe maybe more than that. But my cousins live in Philly, and my aunt actually used to work for the National Constitution Center Board, which is a nonprofit organization that disseminates information about the U.S. Constitution on a pretty nonpartisan basis in order to kind of increase the awareness and understanding of the Constitution among American people. So I think that's something we should all support, and that's located on the National Mall as well. And she was telling me that it's the Liberty Bell is a main fixture of that of that center. I think it's called the Historic Square Mile or something like that. It's one square mile of a lot of famous monuments in Philly, and it just goes to show that there's a lot more than the Liberty Bell which was the topic of our of our conversation today, but there is a lot to be seen. So if you ever do get a chance to see the, the Liberty Bell post-coronavirus, definitely go check the other sites out too because we just live in a really cool nation. And despite what you might think, despite being a young nation, there's a lot of history to be seen. And uh, 
especially pertaining to the Revolutionary War, which is just a cool topic and something I don't know a lot about. And I'm, I just love doing topics on it. Hope to do more because it's just, I love George Washington. I think he's a cool dude. I love Thomas Jefferson. I love Lafayette, obviously. Um, so it's, it's really cool to learn about that stuff. And I hope you guys uh, take some, take some stuff away. So despite kind of, uh, where was I here? Yeah. So basically point is, is I've got, I've got a lot of American kind of ideals in my blood and plus I was born in America. So I really do love this story because the Liberty Bell kind of spans the entirety of our nation history plus our nation's history plus some, and it's endured the triumphs and failures of America, which I just think is, makes it all the more impressive. And despite kind of despite its enduring place in our hearts and minds, it is imperfect. And I think that's what makes America special. So this July 4th today, remember that despite our flaws and issues, we will always persevere because we're American. Let the Liberty Bell serve as that beacon of hope. And as always, today's quote to bring us out comes from Constance M. Griff or Greif. I'm sorry, but she's got a good quote. So she says, the Liberty Bell is a national icon. It is not beautiful and it is irreparably damaged. Perhaps that is part of its almost mystical appeal. Like our democracy, it is fragile and imperfect, but it has endured. Chills. See you Tuesday and happy 4th.